Well, so let's talk a little bit about what, what commodities are and what yeah. matchmaking is. Yeah. I guess the standard shares in a company are commodities because you don't care which shares you buy. They're yeah. all identical. And so when you're buying shares from someone, unless, of course, you're buying in such large volume that you might move the market, you normally don't care from whom you're buying because you, it doesn't matter which shares you're buying. Mm -hmm. But as you say, investors may not be commodities. Invest you may care who your investors are, how long-term they are, how... Uh, how resilient they are. Right. So, uh, so there's an element, even there, as you point out, of, of a market in which you care with whom you're matched, and that makes it a matching market. Right. Uh, when we think about high-speed trading, yes. since the matching between buyers and sellers the, starts to be a function of speed and not just of price. So Eric Budish and his colleagues at the University of Chicago have been studying what's the effect of the very high-speed lines that connect the New York Stock Exchange and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, for example. And right now, the, the round-trip information for prices on one and another is, is down under 9 milliseconds. Now, it takes you several hundred milliseconds to blink your eyes. So we're talking about inhuman speeds and one of the things they notice is that if people can snipe your stale bids and asks right. um, when, when they see a change in one market before you have a chance to change your bids and asks that, that in self-defense that forces you to uh, give wider bids and asks more of a spread and maybe less depth so so it interferes in some sense with the functioning of the market and what they observe is that this it might be possible to replace this competition by speed to, to reinstall competition by price. Their suggestion of one way to do that is to every second have a call market, right? So instead of having trade millisecond by millisecond, mm -hmm. uh, to, to aggregate all the, all the trades that come in in a whole second and then cross supply and demand. And that would allow competition by price to, to determine what was going on. Another suggestion in the same vein by uh, Josh Molnar and his colleagues here at Stanford um, is you might privilege certain kinds of uh, transactions over others. For instance, you might allow uh, bids and asks being canceled, you know, offers being canceled mm -hmm. to go a little bit faster than offers being executed. And that would allow uh, people to still quote narrow bids and asks with the idea that when the market moved, they would have time to, to change their bids and ask before before they could be snapped up in one market and have people buy from them in one market and sell to them in the other market. So I'm not expert on, on any foreign uh, financial exchanges, right. but of course in the United States we, we see restrictions like that sometimes in uh, bidding in, in auctions run by the government, for example, right. where they say certain licenses, certain rights can only be won by firms that are, you know, by firms that are small or by firms that are owned by minorities or women or veterans. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the things you see, for instance, in spectrum auctions is that there are uh, some licenses set aside or some discounts given to firms in these special classes. And often what happens is some large firm becomes a 49% owner of a, a small firm that's, that's run by a, a, you know, someone in the privileged position. And that the that that gives everyone enough capital that the discounts are just bid away. The the prices for the discounted spectrum licenses, for example, go for just as much money as the uh, undiscounted ones because behind the 
privileged firm is a is a wealthy large firm of the kind you would expect to be bidding on Spectrum. So it's a little hard to to enforce some of these rules in a way that that gets at the intent. Right. You, know, you can have silent partners. Right. Right. But do do you think that there? Um, what, what do you think about that though? Do you, do you think that how does this impact these markets? I guess that would be the question. Well, so so it's a tax on them. I mean, I think for instance, Saudi Arabia is a place where I don't think foreigners can own uh, controlling shares of firms. So every right. every domestic firm is is you know, has Saudi ownership, but that just means that if you were Ford Motor Company and you want to, uh, you know, sell Fords in Saudi Arabia, you have to do business with some very well-connected Saudi businessman. Mm. Um, it adds to your costs. Of course, there have been lots of repugnant transactions for, for centuries in the Middle Ages in Europe. It was the, the church didn't think you should be able to charge interest on loans. And of right. course, we'd hardly have the big capitalist markets that we have around the world if we didn't have markets for capital. So these can be very consequential. Mm-hmm. In, in the, you know, not all, not all uh, repugnant transactions are financial. Uh, in the United States and in many places around the world, we've just seen a, a revolution in how we regard same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. Right? A, a marriage is a transaction between two people who want to be married to each other. And in the case of same-sex marriage, there were lots of people who thought that that, that was a repugnant transaction, that they, you know, people who wanted to do it shouldn't be allowed to. Uh, but in the United States, in the last dozen years, we went from, from being a place where no states allowed same-sex marriage to, to being a country where all American states allow same-sex marriage. So these things can change. I think there's some repugnance that has to do with social inequality, not, by no means all of it. I don't think that was the issue in same-sex marriage, for example. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but, um, but of course, I've spent a lot of my time trying to organize ways to get more kidney transplants because around the world there's a shortage of, of transplantable kidneys. There's lots right. of kidney disease in the world and not many organs. And almost everywhere in the world, it's illegal to buy and sell kidneys. That is... Mm-hmm. If, if, if in the course of this conversation we were to figure out that you needed a kidney and I was willing to sell you mine, uh, that would probably be illegal. It'd certainly be illegal where I'm standing in California, right. and I bet it's illegal where you are. Right. Uh, just about the only place in the world where there's a legal monetary market for kidneys is in the Islamic Republic of Iran. Uh-huh. Uh, strange. But, uh, but I think you, the concerns you bring up, the idea that allowing such a monetary market might somehow disadvantage poor and vulnerable people, people who, who suffer from inequalities of various sorts, right. um, I think that's the, the motivation behind the, the very, very widespread laws against buying and selling kidneys. Now, you mentioned dating, but... Um, Fertility is an issue, a set of transactions that that the world varies widely, uh, around the world, it varies widely what's repugnant and what's not. Here in mm-hmm. California, where I am, you can purchase the whole supply chain of a baby. You could buy sperm and yeah. eggs, and mm-hmm. you could have mm-hmm. them artificially inseminated into a surrogate mom, and you could have your name on the California birth certificate as the father. Now... There are markets for that, some art in California, big ones in India and Nepal and Thailand right. Um, right. and elsewhere, no doubt. And there are places where it's illegal or legal, but you can't pay for it. So I think in Germany, it's simply illegal. In England, surrogacy is legal, but you can't pay for it. So we have fertility tourists, uh, people who desperately want children and can't have them 
you know, some other way, mm -hmm. uh, moving around the world trying to have children. And of course, legal problems can develop. I believe in Germany, if you have a surrogate baby in India, they won't let you repatriate him. You know, they say, who is this small person and, and how is he related to you? Right. And their feeling is you have to adopt this baby, which is complicated and hard. <laughs> but, in, but, you come, but if you come to California, you come back with your name on the American birth certificate. So um, that's something that varies widely by place. Things that are repugnant are by no means repugnant in, this, you know, in the same way in different places or in different times. A lot of repugnances change over time in, you know, like same-sex marriage, like interest on loans, like slavery and indentured servitude. You know, in right. the United States, yeah. we used to have markets for slaves, and the most common way to buy passage across the Atlantic Ocean was to sell yourself into a five-year contract of indentured servitude. But that's, that's illegal now. Those aren't legal labor contracts. So, so, so while many things that used to be repugnant no longer are, there are things that weren't so repugnant that now are. Mm -hmm. Well, I, th I, I agree that the question of repugnance touches on what kinds of transactions societies support. Right. And markets are very social institutions that require some social support. So the reason I, I focus on some of these outre examples is to <laughs> make, it clear, make it clear that it's not just self-interest. It's not just that we might not like free trade because we're worried about our steel industry and we'd like high tariffs to protect our steel workers. You know, it's not only right. economic interest that makes people not like things. There's this idea that somehow, one of the things that goes on is that somehow markets are are anonymous, like commodity markets. Mm -hmm. They're not matching markets, that you don't know who you're dealing with, and that that, that sucks some of the meaning out of, of certain kinds of transactions. And I think some of the opposition to kidney sales has to do with things like that. Some of the opposition to, um, you know, surrogate births. Uh, incidentally, there was opposition to artificial insemination in the 1970s when those techniques were first developed. So there, there are ways to look at the world and say, gee, it's, you know, we used to know everyone we dealt with and, and have a world full of relationships. And now as markets become more pervasive, we, we have fewer relationships than, than we might like or than we used to. And there's something to think about there. Well, I, th I think there are, are different obstacles that have to be treated differently. When you think about free trade agreements, um, there are winners and losers, right? If, uh, yeah. the, if, if we are going to import cheaper steel from, from, you know, from electric arc steel mills located in, in ocean ports instead of from steel mills in the Ohio River Valley, um, it's going to be good for most Americans. We're going to get cheaper steel, cheaper buildings, cheaper cars, but it's not going to be good for people who work on steel mills that are becoming obsolete. So as a country, it's our obligation if we want to... Um, support free trade to also think of ways to to ease the bump that that's going to come to the people who will be displaced right? that's an internal matter but it's right. one that that we can't just say too bad for them it's one thing you know it's one thing if you're a, a high school student who was thinking of going into a an ohio river steel mill and now you'll do something else but if you're a 55 year old steel worker it's bad news when the mill closes so we should be thinking how to how to uh, take care of the people who don't benefit from particular aspects of trade. Uh, that would make it easier to, to spread the benefits. On the other hand, when you think of uh, you know some other things like whether whether it might be okay to buy and sell kidneys, mm -hmm. uh, that's a much more complicated question. The the interests there tend to to not be about particular people who who 
or opposed, but rather about protecting people who might participate in the market. Right. And when we look at when we look at these markets, I think again you have to think about the question of social support. You mentioned prostitution in Amsterdam. Right. Uh, it's legal in Amsterdam, but my mm -hmm. guess is. That, that people aren't proud of, of being sex workers. That is, when someone runs for, for the Dutch parliament, they don't, they don't, as part of their campaign, say, you should vote for me because when I was young, I was a sex worker. <laughs> um, but, 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 for instance, we had a similar debate to this when I was young in the United States about whether we should go from an army that, that drew its soldiers by conscription to one that is, is a volunteer army, which mm -hmm. we ultimately did. There was a lot of concern about would, would that turn our army into a, a mercenary army and soldiers wouldn't get respect and maybe they wouldn't behave appropriately for, for an army of a democracy and things like that. And I think to a great extent those fears uh, have not been borne out. When someone runs for the Senate in the United States, mm -hmm. a big part of his campaign is you should vote for me because when I was young I was a Marine. Right, I, I served my country. Right? Mm -hmm. you, you, we we pay Marines, but but it's a very honorable thing to do. We when we uh, board crowded airplanes, uh, serving soldiers are invited to to board first. So, for instance, I would be very happy to board behind kidney donors. Yeah, even if, even if they sold their kidney. So there is a a market for kidneys in Iran, but apparently the sellers in it prefer to remain anonymous. So it's more like being a sex worker than like being a Marine. Well, so so let's go back to you used the phrase a free market and said you were in favor of them. And that that's a, a phrase I talk about a bit in the book because yes, as a do. market as a market designer, I think about the rules by which markets work. Right. And I think and what makes a market a free market is a market that has rules that allow competition to work freely, allow mm -hmm. it to work freely. Mm -hmm. So the the metaphor I like to use is when you think of a wheel that can rotate freely, it's not rotating in a vacuum it's it's got an axle and bearings yep. and the bearings have to be finely machined and well oiled in order for the wheel to rotate freely and that's a little bit about about markets whether or not you're using the word design as a, a verb or as a noun markets have designs and the 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 rule-based part of markets are the marketplaces which have rules that determine you know the new york stock exchange at what time it opens at what time it closes what kind of information has to be revealed before securities can be traded um, there are lots of rules that that over time are, are incrementally added to try to make the market work better. So when we think about international trade, one of the things we have to think about is how to gather support for it in a democracy. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways you can gather support from it is by having governments, you know, we're talking about big macro effects, but, but they, they help many people but harm some people. One way to gather political support is to have mechanisms in place for taking care of those who are harmed, mm -hmm. which by and large, we think we can afford to do because of the benefits to those who are helped.